So today we are using to celebrate Vesaka Puja, which is the puja, the religious occasion in the month of Vesaka. And of course, <coughs> as you all know, the great religious occasion that we commemorate is the birth and the enlightenment and the Parinibbana of the Buddha. Most of all occurred on the same day, <clears throat> over a period of 80 years. So, like us, the Buddha was born, he had a body, came into birth, and then his body passed away after 80 years. Yeah. So that, that we have in common. But the bit that we often miss out on <laughs> is the the important bit was the enlightenment, which uh, Buddha was said to have realized on a, under a Bodhi tree in India. Yeah. This was a pretty uh, solitary occasion. It wasn't a great celebration. He was practicing on his own. And yet this is probably, uh, I can't think of a more important occasion in uh, human history than that. See, when you think of what it really means, it means that uh, someone realizes a way <clears throat> out of birth and death, realizes a way out of uh, suffering, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, despair, loss, disappointment, frustration, anxiety, depression, the whole lot, realizes a way out of that, experiences release from that. Yeah. So that's a big occasion, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> It was bigger than the opening of the Wembley Stadium. <laughs> bigger than Manchester United playing Barcelona. Bigger than most any other thing, because everything else is just birth and death, really. Something arises, something ceases. We get excited, we get angry, we get disappointed, we get hurt, we get excited, we get happy, and then next. <laughs> it goes on, so there's no way out. Everything else is just within birth and death. There's this one occasion of someone, by their own efforts and wisdom and, and uh, practice, realizing a way out of birth and death. Yeah. How often does that happen? Hmm. Once. And yet, because of that, <clears throat> the Buddha, first of all, wondering whether it was possible for to ever try and bring anyone else across or to show this path to other people 
and after some reflection he decided it was worth trying there were those with he said but a little dust in their eyes who could see who could be able to clear this piece of dust so you could also see the way out of birth and death so this is not just a big event for one person it's a big event for everybody big event for everybody So because of that event with millions of people over these thousands of years have been practicing to realize the lessening or reduction of suffering and stress or the complete elimination of it. So this is why it's such an important uh, event or to, to commemorate, to realize, to recognize, to bring into consciousness. Because if we don't bring into consciousness then the rest of birth and death, excitement, pain, tragedy, joy, happiness, new things, old things, bad things, good things, it all floods in, we don't notice. Where our focus gets blurred. We just get caught up in all, all the rest of it. You don't, so you have to kind of continue to remember this. And of course, although you can say one way this is just the one one day, but really the point of it is this could happen every day. Every day could be Wesak. Every day should be Wesak. If you're really interested in, in following the Buddhist, make every day should be your Wesak. Should be your day of remembering this, bring it into focus. What's more important, really, than uh, ending suffering for yourself, ending for others, ending greed, hatred, and delusion? yourself is that that's going to be for other people's welfare too isn't it what's more important you know? <laughs> yeah. and of course we think oh well I can't do that or you know that's too big a deal or it's too too much to do I can't do that I haven't got the time to do that I haven't got the time to get out of birth and death because I want to watch television instead. <laughs> Too busy to get out of suffering. I mean, you know, this is serious loss of focus, isn't it? Like if your hair's on fire, are you too busy to put it out? <laughs> you know, if you're in a, in a you know, river full of crocodiles, are you too busy to get out? <laughs> That's why if you're in a burning house, you're too busy to run out to get out the door. But uh, we don't realize the, because uh, this uh, sangsar is very seductive. We don't really see there's a problem or too much of a problem till it's too late. It's like those, uh, those uh, plants that capture insects, the Venus flytrap or the sundew has a nice, this plant opens up and inside is this lovely, and a sticky, sweet tendril. And the fly goes, oh, goes inside that and plant closes. Down it goes. And that's what sangsara is like. <laughs> you close in on this nice sticky sweet thing in the middle of it and the petals close around you. And it's a bit late then. Too late to get out. Hmm. And Buddha, then we can think, oh, this must take years of meditation practice and so forth, yeah. 
But that's the way the mind works, the way the samsaric mind always thinks the future, how long, how much effort it's going to take, can I do it? It always thinks in terms of the future, myself, you know, what, would it be any, you know, but really we're looking at can you take this moment, if you break out this moment, you know, it's, that's, that's, the, that's the really important step just to come out of this moment. What the Buddha called heedfulness. Heedfulness, he said, is the path to the deathless. Those who are heedful do not die. Those who are heedless are like dead already. One's mind is heedless. It's just like a fish in in a river swept away, caught up. But if you're heedful, if you're attentive, if you're alert, if you wake up at that very moment... There's that sense of the the possibility, the potential is there. The awakening is there in one moment. We could say that if we had to, you know, try to reduce the Buddha's teachings down to one word, it would be appamado, be heedful. That's what he said in his last moments of his life. Appamadena sampadetaba means... uh, Make an effort, uh, be fully collected into heedfulness. So it's almost like he's trying to sum up 45 years of teaching just in one phrase. He says, well, if I have my last breath I can offer this teaching will be make an effort, you know, strive on with heedfulness, with heedfulness, appamado. So what is heedfulness? Hmm? Contains... All of the Eightfold Path can be seen. In, this is the path of the deathless. So in this one, one phrase, one word, we get the essence of the Eightfold Path. Being heedful is that moment when whatever you're doing, you check, you pause, you stop, you, you step back, you wake up. You say, who's here? What's happening? Is this worthwhile? Where's it going? Why am I doing this? It's that moment when you check. It's like being able to have a pause button on all, all of these automatic reflexes that we have, these conditioned reflexes, responses, assumptions, perceptions of self, perceptions of others, perceptions and impressions of the world, which seem so solid. And just say, just for one moment, just put a pause, check, pause, you know, stop. You know what it's like when you're in a dream and how totally real and moving and emotionally stirring that can be, how full of pictures and characters and drama that can be when you're in a dream. It says just for one moment, you don't have to understand the whole thing or take all the elements of the dream away, but just for one moment, wake up. You say, well, what was all that? I was so embedded in that. I was so involved in all that. Yeah. All, and all we, we know, all that we get involved with is changing, passable, uncertain, unpredictable. And yet in the dream, the dream says there's a future, you will be this, you will become this, there's a future you're moving towards, there's a past you're moving away from, there's a present with things that you own and possess and have that are solid and real. Yeah, that's what it's what it says, the dream. And yet in a moment it can all pop. 
can't it? You know, suddenly you have a car crash. Where's the future? Where's the past? What were you, what are you holding on to? Yeah. So he said that uh, actually for this path of heedfulness, for deathlessness, you need to remember death. Death take, remembering death takes you to the deathless. Because you remember death, suddenly death means the time when there's no more future. Hmm? There's no future, is there? When you, if you're saying, now you're on the verge of death, where's the future? It's just an imagination, isn't it? If you're on the verge of death, where's your house? Where's your belongings? Where's your family? Not there, is it? Gone. Yeah. Where's your body? The moment of death, where's that? What's that going to do? Hmm. So all these uh, forms and phenomena that we seem so totally embedded in are really like a, like a dream. Hmm. So heedfulness is just that pausing on those reflexes and reactions that keep embedding us in the search for the future. What will it be? What will it work out as? How can I make this happen? Uh, Worry, dread, anxiety, anticipation. They keep embedding us in the past with its sense of regret, nostalgia, guilt. You know, what was I? What was I? Just pause, check. Just don't keep doing that, you know. It's that checking, pausing. That we need to build up. <clears throat> the beauty of learning how to pause is it's really just the moment. <clears throat> and for that, you can, be have, you can do this 20, 30 times a day. Just whenever you feel yourself getting swept along, carried along, just pause, check what's happening, who's this belong to where is the future where is it that I'm heading for where is the, the other person that I'm creating in my mind the sense of what I am what's that based on, so we just stop check, how much energy is going into all that yeah. so it's really an important, uh, very pra- uh, important practice just to be have the chance to be heedful one of the uh, uh, qualities that the that recommended is a pretty much a standard for uh, our practice to keep a check on the the, out, the flowing on of time and history to get out of history to get out of time is called sangwara which means, roughly speaking, means restraint or checking or pausing or putting a hold, putting things on hold. And it sounds kind of like uh, repressive, except that uh, what we're putting on hold is suffering. <laughs> yeah. And what it, it, what it reminds us that actually we don't have to create anything in particular. We don't have to create or add something or make something happen most of the Buddhism is just about preventing preventing the wrong things happening 
preventing the flood, preventing the being swept away. He says, well, if you prevent that which needs to be prevented, then already that is that is enlightenment. It's not creating something. It's not adding something. It's not having another special experience. It's about stopping, checking, restraining the flow that takes us into suffering, stress, accumulations, loss, just checking that. And then we are, that's it, that's the perfection, is the freedom, the release from suffering. It's not about an addition of any kind. Everything that we practice with is just to, not to become a thing in its own right, but just there as a tool, as a means to bring around this sense of restraint. The power of mindfulness, the power of collectedness, of samadhi, is there to put the handbrake on, on the, the, the runaway mind. The sense of loving kindness is there to put the handbrake on the sense of ill will. It's really about developing these qualities that restrain the recklessness of the mind when it swings into aversion, fear, guilt, regret, greed, covetousness, and so forth, fantasies, just checking that. And the restrained mind realizes the deathless. Mm-hmm. Now as a practice, you can look at restraint in under four different headings. This is a useful thing to remember. <clears throat> we have... Uh, it's classically called patimoka restraint, which means really a restraint according to uh, morality and uh, behavior, the way we are with other people we relate. Uh, for the bhikkhus, it's a very exact uh, code, but the word basically means one is, one is moka means to res- from muchati to restrain, to bind together, that which binds us together. So it's a sense of how we relate to other people, how we um, conduct our bodies, how we conduct our speech. So it's to do with a very developing a sense of morality in a very uh, thorough and subtle way, not just obvious things such as avoiding killing, but also subtler things like avoiding manipulating speech or, or criticizing or bullying people or being domineering, but always trying to cultivate a sense of modesty and restraint in the way we behave. There's also what's called Indriya Sangwara, which Indriya mean the faculties that lead the mind. And there's a whole range of these. <clears throat> every sense base, every like eye, ear, nose, tongue, touch, and mental activities all will tend to lead us. They're Indriyas. Indriya refers to the leader, the ruler of the gods, was Indra. So Indriya is that which leads the others. So we tend to be led by the eye. The eye sees something and we, oh, the ear hears something, we're pulled out to it. The tongue tastes something, the mind, you know, our heart moves down onto that flavor. You know, we think something, the mind uh, moves out onto that thought. So that we are led by the senses, we're led by other indriyas, other indriyas are femininity, masculinity, sexuality. So we could be led by a femininity, you know, that which accentuates the feminine, sees things in that light, feels things in that way. That becomes who we are. 
It tends to lead us, becomes a big big effect on your life, doesn't it? Which particular deal you've got in the gene pool, with which how many chromosomes you've got of what kind, becomes the big story <laughs> of your life, you know. And the whole society is based upon that, isn't it? Like women here, men there, and so forth. And how you dress and everything like that. So that can be, you know, a big thing. And uh, but where does that go? <laughs> where does that take you? <laughs> Certainly, it's there, but to just be led by it, to be governed by it, to be identified with it, or masculinity, where does that go? You know, this is it's older, doesn't it? it? Wears out. So when you're dying, it doesn't really matter with your feminine, masculine or whatever it is. It's all history. But how much of our lives can be spent accentuating our masculinity, trying to look uh, strong or vigorous or be the leader or the kind of masculine archetypes or feminine archetypes, trying to be like that, trying to be attractive or gentle or loving or something, you know, trying to develop these qualities. Now, obviously, these are things we have to live with, but you're not trying to make a big, some kind of principle out of it. Hmm. And the other faculties that lead us are dukindriya. Suffering occurs, pain occurs. We get dragged by that. We don't know able to stand still with that. We're not able to bear with it. Suffering or pain, physical pain occurs, we start shaking, trembling, feeling upset, feeling disappointed. What else is going to happen? <laughs> As if it's something new. Have good, pleasant feeling occurs in the body. We get excited about that. But really, you know, you recognize that pain and pleasure are just the, like night and day. Aren't they? You know, they are, they are what you get. You get pain and pleasure physical pain and physical pleasure you know how much energy do you want to put in following them that is getting agitated by them getting excited by them getting feeling knocked around by them feeling disappointed by them feeling you're winning something by them feeling the way the mind just is attracted to feeling you know, you get a, a physical feeling, like you get a, one, a thorn in your finger, and it feels like all you've got is one finger with a thorn in it. The rest of your body disappears. It's, this thorn in your finger becomes huge. And it's like that, isn't it? And yet, what is it? Is it possible to have a body that doesn't feel anything? So, when are we going to stop getting wound up about it, agitated by it? Stop the mind being led by it. Now, when you cultivate the mind, you learn how to bear with pleasant feeling and unpleasant feeling. It's just the feeling. Feeling does what feelings do. It tingles, it rushes, it pushes. It, it's uh, like a, a lightning rod. It's like a current of electricity running through the body, isn't it? The feeling sense. And then the mind is hypnotized by that, attracted by it, pulled in by it. So when you practice, you learn just to, that's a feeling. If feeling is doing what it's doing, duty of feeling is to feel. 
let it do its duty. But then the, the, the mind's duty is to learn how to be free from that. So we, it doesn't mean fighting it, it doesn't mean suppressing it, it means that you can remain unmoved. So you widen your attention, relax, let the feeling do what it does. This already is meditation. Yeah. So we contemplate these indriyas, whether femininity, masculinity, sexuality, feelings of various kinds. They come and they go. They're impressions that hit the mind and we can be attracted by them, make an issue out of them, be depressed by them. But they don't have to lead us. They can be just phenomena that pass through. Somanasa and Dhammanasa, these is sadness or happiness and sadness, mental, mental feeling. Yeah. So sometimes the mind is uh, experiencing the emotions, emotions are sad. Sometimes they're they're happy, they're buoyant, and then we can make a big thing out of that. How whether we're feeling sad today or happy today, and that can be something that gives us a feeling that our life is going bad or good or whatever. But just consider how, you know, on one level, how, how possible is it to be happy all day long, continually happy, without something feeling either slightly boring or not that interesting. You know. But you look around and you see what's being presented is always, uh, um, you know, what's advertised is permanent happiness. You buy some toothpaste and you're going to be happy. You know, people in toothpaste advertisements are just ecstatic cleaning their teeth. <laughs> They're, you know, going to ecstasy cleaning and washing a shirt. Buying a car makes them go mad with glee and delight. You know. So <laughs> that's the message. If you're not happy, it's because you haven't bought something recently. <laughs> so... Go out and shop. <laughs> Get happy. Mm-hmm. If you're unhappy, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> yeah. But just you recognize in the human form, if you're sensitive, do you think it's possible to be happy all, all the time? Yeah. You see the pain and suffering of the world around you. You think that's a pleasant experience to see? fighting, jealousy, pollution, you think that's enjoyable? So when we are really aware of of what's happening, there are these, these these are these qualities, happiness and unhappiness. And you're not trying to really make an issue out of that, but your mind becomes something that can stand still in the presence of happiness and unhappiness. So it's the alternative, Nibbana. It's not pleasant, it's not unpleasant. It's the alternative to that kind of movement. It's a a quality that can embrace and be present with happiness or unhappiness. So that's why it's a refuge. You don't find a refuge in happiness. 
but you can find a refuge in nibbana. Happiness will always be, be knocked away by unhappiness. So when we're looking for a refuge, we look for what is it that can be present with happiness or unhappiness? Where's that? Hmm. And there is this faculty. What are called the spiritual indriyas, uh, faith, confidence, which is the beginning of it, just recognizing that the, the Buddha was a human being, didn't have anything other than what, what any of us have in terms of a body, mind. So if he could experience this, then why can't you? Well, you know, you've got exactly the same equipment. <laughs> so that sense of confidence and faith means we cut the doubt faith is the first quality the Buddha said if you really want to understand this teaching didn't ask you to bring forth your wisdom he said bring forth your faith which means open the mind just be prepared to have confidence this is possible if you don't believe it's possible you're not going to try and so often it's just this uh, People don't don't really take seriously the sense that there could be an option, an alternative to holding on to happiness and fighting with unhappiness, because they don't really believe there's an alternative to that. They'll just keep doing it, because if you find no alternative, then that's what you have to do. You have to hang on as best you can and accumulate as much pleasure as you can. You know, try and save it up. So confidence is perhaps the most most important uh, indriya, the one we choose to lead us. Say, have faith, try it. Try it for uh, 10 minutes, you know, not for the rest of your life, just try it for 10 minutes, what it's like to be still. It won't take long, because you sit still for 10 minutes, some kind of pleasure or pain is going to arise pretty quickly. (laughs) Yeah. And see what it's like to just to not follow it. Just, okay, that's that. What does that does that make? What does that do? What's the result of doing something like that? Just being still in the presence of pleasure or pain for ten minutes. You know, not the rest of your life. But what's the result of that? You know, makes you feel wider, more grounded, more steady, more competent. Hmm. So it's just that sense of why is it that uh, through all these centuries people have found inspiration in the teachings of the Buddha. You know, different cultures. Because he's actually pointing to something very immediate. This is another remarkable event in human history. You look in the history of most religions, it starts off as... God or gods, either one god or many gods, and they're ruling everything. And the best thing you can do is do something to make get them on your side. To make an offering so they'll look after you, and make an offering to the biggest one, who'll beat up the others. (laughs) Yeah, or protect you from the other ones. So you look for the who's got the best god. And I'll, I'll vote for that one. You know, this is what people are, are be doing. 
whatever the, whatever religion it is, it's basically the same thing. Look for the big, big guy or the big loving mother who's going to look after me. Hmm. So same in India, and then round about uh, 800 or so before the Christian era, they started to think, well, you know, really looking at what is it that uh, that uh, make, gives us this good uh, opportunity with the divine is by cultivating our own minds. So they started to work on that in various ritual forms, uh, mystical forms, and so on. And the Buddha comes along and he's not a priest and he's not a mystic saying things like instead of talking about Indra or Brahma or the proper mantras or the proper rituals he says things like be mindful I mean you know, this is a complete switch over isn't it from something that's esoteric and cosmological and out there and to do with supernatural forces to something like remember very obvious human faculty Put effort into what you're doing. Very obvious human faculty. Develop kindness. A very obvious human faculty. Nothing, you know, nothing supernatural, esoteric, otherworldly, but just really bringing it all back home to the human being, to the human mind. The first person who made the human being the responsible agent of the cosmos not subject to any divine law, not subject to any fate, destiny, not subject to any divine principle, but just the owner of their own karma. This is the first person who did that. And nobody's got beyond that. Nobody's surpassed that presentation. This is why it's still so fresh. Is that right now you can use a term like mindfulness, you know, they're discovering it now in clinical work, in cognitive psychology, clinical therapy. Saying so they found this wonderful new system called mindfulness. <laughs> and somewhere they thought it they thought it had been invented in America 25 years ago. <laughs> this wonderful new psychiatric system called mindfulness. It's been going 2,500 years, but because it's such a ordinary world, it just means remember, bear something in mind. It doesn't mean anything. People with, this is not a religion, is it? And yet it comes from the Buddha 2,500 years ago. So he's using terms that are very ordinary. He deliberately talked in this down-to-earth language. This is working-class religion. <laughs> There's nothing priestly about it. You know, he's saying, bringing it right down to you. you know, can you remember? Can you remember what your name is? Yeah. Then you can then you can get free from birth and death if you've got that faculty. Can you bear something in mind? Yeah. When you're driving a car, can you remember where you're going? Bear that in mind. That's called the faculty of mindfulness. Then you've got the key to the deathless in your hand. It's right there. But have the so another one of the spiritual faculties is just this quality of mindfulness. Be led by it. Confidence, effort, bringing effort into your practice, bringing effort into what you're doing. Make a point of learning to not just drift and be casual, but to be purposeful, 
to have persistence, to have certain goals and aims that are worth doing, carry it through. Be mindful. You know, it's not that far away, is it? And through these, you begin to assess what's useful, because if you bear things in mind, if you bear what you're doing in mind, if you remain a, a calm witness to your mental life, your emotional life, your psychological life, your financial life, your social life, it's just saying, be, bear it in mind, recollect it, contemplate it, look at what it's doing. Then you'll start to see, well, this is no, no point, this is really good. This is important, that's very important, that's not so important. You'll start to get a shape, a particular pattern, a particular life that you feel is worthwhile living, purposeful. And this is the path to concentration or samadhi. Samadhi really based upon the principle of don't do, don't do what's not necessary to do. And what you are doing, focus on it clearly. And you just keep that equation what you don't need to do, what is getting in the way, what is obstructive, what is pointless, what is useless, don't bother with it. What's important, what's useful, make much of that. This is the principle. When you apply it thoroughly in meditation, this is what we call samadhi. It's just it's nothing about really about a technique, it's a particular training of the mind. To uh, I don't need to think that. It's not doing me any good. I don't need to uh, worry about not doing any good. What feels good is just uh, a long out breath, which I'm going I'm to be breathing in and out anyway. It's important, it keeps me alive. Why don't I make much of it? <laughs> Since here it is. You know, put the rest on hold. Just the time to breathe in and breathe out. And that was the Buddha's uh, most uh, common meditation technique. Pretty ordinary, isn't it? Does anybody not breathe in and breathe out? Does anybody get it wrong, like you breathe five in-breaths and no out-breaths? <laughs> or you just keep breathing out all the time and never breathe in? I bet you're all accomplished breathers. Or doing it as an in-breath, followed by an out-breath, right? Same for me. <laughs> you say, well, since you're going to be doing that anyway, <laughs> that's what the bodies do. Why don't you just uh, see this is really important, is necessary. Why don't I make much of this? And then this is what <laughs> I put aside the other things, clearing the other things. So that's samadhi and wisdom, discernment, assessment just recognizing the results of what you're doing. So you can say, that was useful. That took me to a good place. I feel stronger, clearer, more stable, freer than I did before. You know? So it's, it's just very practical. It's just doing the equations, checking the accounts at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But all the time, you know, it's a sense of real heedfulness means your life is important. It's not just all finished, it's not just hopeless, it's not just casual, it's not just drifting along. It means it's all important. And the Buddha is giving us that. He's saying you know, you, that your life, your ordinary, ordinary breathing, moving, speaking, talking life is important. Be watchful of that. If you do that, you yourself, you don't have to 
have someone else tell you or start to approve or disapprove, look for yourself and you'll see the things that are unworthy of me, things that I don't want to actually, if I had to take a, if I had to make a tape recording of what I said, I wouldn't want to listen to that again. <laughs> Do you ever reflect on that? You know, the stuff that comes out of the mouth. Imagine if, some, if it was recorded and then they had to play it back to you at the end of the day. <laughs> Would you want to hear it? <laughs> and yet we kind of shower each other with it. Yeah? So you can see that in any, any aspect, with speaking or the, any aspect of, of your life, in that you can see the whole of the path. Because if you're heedful of your speech, you learn about skillful karma, you learn about agitation, you learn about anger, you learn about manipulativeness, you learn about deceitfulness, you learn about honesty, straightness, clarity, accomplishment. You learn about these things just by contemplating being heedful of the way you speak. So the whole of the path can be in that. Does anybody not speak? Everybody speaks. Why don't we be heedful of it? Why don't we make a deal today? Because you have to do this every day because the, the current is so habitual. Every day you've got to make up, get another, right? Okay, check it today. It's like that. Every day is Wissak. Yeah. Every day is a day for waking up. So it's most important is these indriyas, what one is led by. If you check the indriyas that are just nature going towards birth and death, you check those and you restrain those and you build up the sense of development of the spiritual faculties, confidence, energy application, mindfulness, concentration, discernment, then this is going to take you to the deathless. The Buddha said these five faculties, when fully developed, aim to the deathless, lead to the deathless and merge in the deathless. These five faculties, these five faculties... These are human faculties. They're not esoteric. They're not super normal. They're things that we can practice when we're speaking, eating. We can still practice them. You know, it's, it's really down-to-earth stuff. And he said from this you can develop the other forms of restraint, such as restraint in terms of livelihood and restraint in terms of requisites. Livelihood means how, many, how, much, how much effort, how much do you want to make out of getting your shoes on your feet and bread on the table and a roof over your head. You know? you know? how, much, how, much is, how much is that worth? It's worth something. How much do you want to put into it? You know, just enough to get what you need, shelter. Uh, requisites, you know? livelihood. How much do we want to make out of our particular profession? And what we can notice with this is that there's a great deal of suffering around these issues. Some people can't get a job, feel very depressed. Other people are working like crazy, you know, 150 hours a week. And uh, when the mind loses its balance in the, in the excitement and the pressure and the agitation, then we lose sight of the deathless again. We lose that focus. Hmm. 
And so you've got to resist that, that uh, emphasis. Check it. Pause. I think when I was fortunate enough that when I was about 14 or 15, I started to consider, you know, my dad is working all day, every day. Sometimes I don't see him at night. He's still working. Get up in the morning, he's already got off to work. He's doing this five, six days a week. He's been doing this for the last 40 years. <laughs> it's never going to end, is it? And then, is that what, is what I'm going to do? Uh, <laughs> is this it? Is this what you have to do? To just be, a, what's the point of that? Is there any, any other way that one can live one's life? Yeah. So I, I really got a lot of uh, warning from my father, just contemplating, looking at him, how worn out he was just by livelihood and trying to get by. So, well, I think renunciation is the way. <laughs> Drop the standards, get, get off that one. And, uh, you yeah. know, Renunciation, letting go, living more simply. Being able to be prepared to not be uh, success in worldly terms. Then you can see people who, who do become apparent successes, they've always got to keep going up. You're getting seven million pounds a year. Well, you'd sooner have 10 million pounds a year. 10 million pounds a year, well, you better have 15 million pounds a year. You know, a footballer, 80 million pounds to buy this player, getting 150,000 pounds a week for kicking a ball around. You know, you see just how, how mad it all is, <laughs> the world, world of livelihood. It's nothing to do really with how valuable a uh, person one is, how much integrity you have. It can be just your ability to kick a ball. You know, where does that go? <laughs> what good does that do anyone? So do we find ourselves measured by what we're doing or by our wealth or by our position, the social position, the society? Do we find ourselves really making an issue out of that? Is it just so enjoyable when you come to a monastery, it doesn't really matter whether you're how wealthy or poor you are, doesn't really matter whether you're quali- what your qualifications are. You know, isn't that really the the best? And we can say we're not going to be led by this stuff anymore. What's important is our spiritual faculties and what comes from those. So this um, restraint gives you back dignity and self worth, and it, it restrains that which needs to be restrained strains the madness, the flow, the outflows that sweep us away. It's a really important aspect to practice. Every day one should think, what is it needs to be checked, restrained? You know, and why? If something is restrained, something else is allowed to blossom. That's the point. It's not like we're putting ourselves in a straitjacket. We're saying just restrain that which needs to be restrained. So that which is free, that which is boundless, can come forth. That which is bright and open can shine. 
because we've held back the darkness. We've held back the flood of darkness. So this is what the the Buddha was asking and offering and encouraging us, this chance to be heedful, to recognize, to wake up, to take our lives seriously, to make that dignity, that sense of self-value, a foundational principle, so that every day we wake up, we consider, well, whatever else I am, I'm a follower of the Buddha, the Buddha, the greatest being in history, because he was the only being who escaped from history. <laughs> the rest of the people are still struggling with it. So for this for your reflection tonight. So why don't we have a few moments just pausing. Here we are. There's no problem. Nothing particularly we have to rush off to do. (laughs) Figure out. Just feeling the feeling. Body probably hurts a bit now. Mine hurts. (laughs) Knees hurt. Hurts more every day now. (laughs) So it's hardly news anymore. So I just sit here with my body hurting <laughs> because it's not, you know, I can run as hard as I like. It's not, gonna, I'm not going to run away from hurt. <laughs> it's going to follow me. So I just sit with the body hurting <laughs> for a few moments. And then the flow of thoughts and impressions that come through the mind of what should we be doing? Should I get home? Go and have a talk to somebody? Need to go to the toilet. When's tea going to happen? What am I supposed to be doing? You know, just contemplating that. That's the current. That's the flow of it. Is it happening to you? It's happening to me. So we just sit, realize the space, the faith, the confidence. Say, this is important. This ordinary, trivial, daily flood of stuff that can be so easy to just move along in, but pausing for the ordinary things and realizing in pausing around the ordinary, something rather marvelous happens. Something wakeful, something peaceful, something still, something sober. It's uh, beautiful how one can wake up.